welcome to... Hi, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast brought to you by Cracked Rackets. My name is Alex Gruskin. Joining me, as he always does for the biggest moments of the Grand Slams, is my doubles partner, partner in crime, and a man who you guys didn't get to hear but was practicing that Australian Open before we began and executed to perfection, Maxwell LeBauer-Rothman. Maxie, hey, great shot. You know, sometimes you just got to get the vocal cords warmed up, just like I do before the changeover chats. So uh, I'm glad you liked it. I'm not even kidding. That was flawlessly done. Well done. Hey, great shot to you. Thank you, Seth. <laughs> ah, see that, now I move back to the British. They're they're interchangeable. Whatever. Well, let's 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 talk tennis. I get why your mind is scrambled because there have been so many storylines, so many great matches at this year's Australian Open. And if you have missed anything from this year's tournament, check out our website, crackedrackets.com. We have everything up to date. You know, our writers, Alex Gornat, Ryan Cardiff, Matt Stokowiak, Christian Harris, Jamie McDonald, the whole crew has been hard at work uh, keeping you listeners up to date and hopefully, you know, you've enjoyed some of our coverage. You know, if you have, if you want to reach out to us about things we've done so far, things you'd like us to do in the future, you know, contact us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We're everywhere. Obviously, please like this podcast, subscribe, rate, review, and if you have a message for us, leave that in the comments as well as on our Cracked Interviews podcast. I mean, Rothman, we are now at the end of this Australian Open. There's two matches left to be played in singles. Has it lived up to your expectations? I mean, I, I think in the beginning when we said that this is going to be filled with, or at least I did, I don't know if you necessarily agreed, um, but I think when we said in the beginning that there was going to be some upsets, we're going to see some young dominance, I mean, we did. We, we saw a lot. Pui is, you know, what, 21 years old, uh, 22 years old? He's young. And we've, we've got Tsitsipas also, who's, you know, a next-genner. So uh, I think we at least saw what I was hoping for, uh, which was a lot of tight matches, a lot of upsets at the seeds. Uh, so I, I had a great time with this tournament. Well, as this gets to be my first hey, great shot to you. I believe Pui was born 1994, so he's 24, turns 25 this year. Definitely yeah. still young. I agree. He's still I, a young I mean, guy. We talked about it. He was the first guy born in 1994 to make a Grand Slam semifinal. Now, I don't know if that's just a testament to his year being weak or a testament to how hard it's been to break through. It might be a little bit of both. But, yeah, we have seen a lot of great performances. Obviously, we talked all week about Taylor Fritz, Francis Tiafoe, Alex Dimenauer. So many of the young guys looked good in this event. But, it's nice to be at these final rounds. It, you know, maybe not so much on the men's side, but particularly on the women's side, which is where we're going to start today. I mean, these matches were such high quality tennis, and oh yeah, it, it was so it was so much fun to watch, and that's what you enjoy about all of these Grand Slam semifinals. I think the match we have to start with: Naomi Osaka, the number four seed, takes out Karolina Pliskova, six two four six six four. You know, I, I believe Osaka goes up a set and then break uh, broke Pliskova right away for a one zero lead in the second. And to Pliskova's credit, she fought broke back. Right she, back. Yeah, yeah, she takes that second set, and this was a high level of tennis. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I thought uh, when Osaka took that first break in the second that it was going to be a, a quick second set. Um, but uh, as we've seen, you can't count Pliskova out too soon. The other thing that just blew like blew my mind in this match was just the the excuse me was the court placement for Osaka if you watched her first of all just 
during rallies where she was standing, but more importantly, where she was returning second serves. I mean, I would have been terrified hitting any second serve, especially if it were your second serve, Alex. <laughs> well, I completely agree with you. The way she takes backhands <laughs> early, I mean, can crush it down the line, can crush it cross court. It's reminiscent of my backhand on the ad side. No, I'm just kidding. No, Naomi Osaka would blow me out of the water. You talk about some of the things we saw in this match. I agree with you. When Osaka was dictating, being the aggressor, I mean, she dominated so many of these points. She holds Pliskova to a 36% win percentage on Pliskova of his second serve. That's a testament to her, as you mentioned, taking these returns early, stepping up in the court. For Osaka, when she made her first serve, which she only did 58% of the time, but still she wins 81% of those points, 15 aces against three double faults. She hits 56 winners against only 34, or only 30 unforced errors. Obviously, she's playing strike first tennis in this match. Still, when you're looking forward to this final, when you're looking at Naomi Osaka, because she is so young and she still has so much room for growth, I think her forehand backswing gets her in trouble. You look for Pliskova, you know, she's able to win 72% of her first serve points. I think that's because that backswing, it makes it hard for Osaka to generate pace, if not get caught behind off of the serve. And I just think, you know, it's harder for her on the forehand side than it is on the backhand side to be aggressive. I thought Osaka moved pretty well. Uh, she didn't come to the net at all, and that's obviously something I'd like to see her do more moving forward. But I, I don't know. What do you think? I thought when she could dictate, she obviously was winning. But when Pliskova got a first ball aggressively to that forehand, that's when she got in trouble. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, I felt like, as you said, that Pliskova was on the defense for the majority of this match. I, I think Osaka, honestly, is similar to Serena in that most of her, the matches are going to be on her terms. She hits a big enough ball. She hugs the baseline enough that you're basically going to, you know, play some defense and hope that you can find ways to, you know, put her on the defense, which is just tough. It's just tough with her. The way the way she moves, she moves really well. Um, I, I don't know. The, <laughs> I just want to – the thing that uh, I found uh, funny just watching this match, I think after just watching uh, more of Pushkama, so she's 6-1. Um she looks like she doesn't bend her knees at all when she hits ground strokes. And it actually blows my mind. It, well, I think her coordination is exceptional at the it baseline. Is, it because is. Because you're she right. Really she doesn't good bend. At those half volleys. It's, it's, yeah, it's impressive. I, I, I completely agree with you on that front. Pliskova looked great. She's not the most proficient mover, but still, she can play as aggressive as anyone on the women's tour. I think the big. Uh, testament to her was she holds Osaka to a 41% second serve win percentage and when you're looking for Osaka's chances in the final she cannot serve only 58% on her first serves because if she does no. Petra Kvitova will clobber all of those balls yeah the, the other thing I was going to say a lot of the points that I felt like I saw um, Pliskova win were the points where she went behind Osaka and, and I think you're going to have a hard time going cross court with Osaka because she's got really powerful ground strokes and trying to just out outgo at her with a cross court rally is just probably not going to win you a match. Uh, so a lot of times I, I saw Pushkova winning matches, excuse me. I saw Pushkova winning points going behind Osaka. Now Osaka also did that as well to Pushkova. So, you know, brought it right back at her. I mean, it was, it was a really high quality match. I, it was good, good fun tennis. 
Well, I think this is a perfect place to transition because we talk about that Osaka backhand and the way she was able to dictate, you know, going up against Petrik Vitova, who takes out Danielle Collins, 7-6-6-0. You know, Collins also so aggressive with her own backhand. She could not win the backhand to Petra Kvitova forehand exchanges. And to Kvitova's credit, she did a great job of changing directions on Collins, you know, not going more than three balls cross court before taking a ball down the line. Really keyed in on going her backhand versus the Collins forehand, and I think that's an exchange she won. I think Petra Kvitova hits a big enough ball on both sides that she's going to be the aggressor in the Osaka match. Oh, I, I, don't I, I mean, let me that. rephrase that. You're, you're right. She's not going to be the only aggressor, but she's going to be able to dictate as well as she wants, particularly on her serve and if Osaka's hitting a bunch of second serves. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I, I think the, the tough part is that Osaka's down-the-line backhand is just so solid that you're going to see a lot of times Osaka changing directions and getting back to the commit of a backhand. Um. I, I don't know. I, I felt honestly like the level of play between Pushkova and Osaka was higher than the Collins and Kvitova, just well, as a whole. I would think part. I, I think that's fair, and the reason that might you know bear in these stats. Collins only makes forty four percent of her first serves in this match. That's obviously much that's lower terrible. than it had been the previous rounds. She wins sixty seven percent of her first serves, and it seems like she fought out of so many breakpoint opportunities for Kvitova in that first set. You know, again, it's not Naomi Osaka was what fifty eight percent in her last match. If, if she doesn't make a lot of first serves, we see here Kvitova is able to pounce. She holds Collins to only a forty six percent win percentage on her second serve. She gets ten points in this uh, break points in this match, converts four of them, hits thirty winners against twenty seven unforced errors. Clearly, she's trying to be aggressive, going for her shots. It's going to be some big strike first tennis. That, that, that women's final is going to be so fun to watch. Absolutely. And uh, the thing I think also that Kvitova has uh, is our nice hands. I, I think, you know, we might see some drop shots from her, some change of direction, some slices, um, all things that are helpful against, you know, a powerful player like Osaka. I, I think, yeah, I think this is going to go three sets. I think this is going to go the distance. I, I honestly want to say it's favored for Osaka, but I bet the the money lines are even right now. Uh, I, I actually believe when we did our pod last night with Eric Hubs of Barstool Sports, they were pretty even. I think Kvitova was the slight favorite, maybe minus 120 to Osaka's like plus 80, which is not good odds at all. Pretty evenly split match. I want to end on the Kvitova-Collins uh, match with a little bit about Danielle Collins. Obviously, she gets her first Grand Slam win ever in this tournament and then makes it all the way to the semifinals. Oh. She takes out an Angelique Kerber. Oh, sorry. Uh, I just uh, I've got the most updated odds as of right now. Osaka is not favored, plus one ten to Kvitova, minus one thirty. I'm hammering the Osaka money line right wow. there. Wow, I think that's about right. Petra Kvitova has not dropped this set, and we will get into that when we preview the finals later on. Can we can we hold this debate for a little bit later? Yes, but not only that, the over under is twenty two games. That mm. means they're they're expecting a straight set win, most likely. Wow. Well, because think again, about it. Four, hold, four, hold. four and five, that's 22. <laughs> that's really good match for you. Uh, really good math for you. Really good match, but also really good math. So um, hey, I was great doing that for you. you. I, didn't know, I didn't think you'd be able to handle that. No, I really appreciate it. Um, 
but again, ending on this Collins note real quick, she is now solidly in the WTA top 30. You know, What do you think she has to do to sustain this level of play, and do you expect to see her in the second weeks of Grand Slams moving forward? Oof, I don't know. Um, she's pl- I, I, This was a hot streak, no doubt. Uh, I think you're really going to need to see her continue to play an aggressive game style the way she has been. Uh, you don't see it much in, in as much in women's tennis, but uh, I would love to see her come to the net. I think she would be successful if she did that. It, it's tough. It's tough with her. I, I like her game. She's a little bit on the smaller side to, to be the aggressor on the court at all times, but she's quick. She's a, a quick player. She's a great backhand. She's going to have to keep you know utilizing that as a weapon. Um, I'm skeptical of whether she's going to make second weeks of uh, the coming Grand Slams. And she has a ton of points to defend with Indian Wells in Miami coming up. Obviously, she had great yeah, runs there last year. There. I think she's a great hardcourt player. I think it's going to be interesting to see her on the clay. I want to know if that, big, yeah, if that big strike, big uh, backswing type of tennis holds up well for her. I, definitely someone to monitor moving forward. Speaking of which... You know, obviously coming into these semifinals, everyone was talking about the young Greek stud, Stefano Tsitsipas, who looked so good in knocking out RBA, looked so good in knocking out Roger Federer. And then he comes up against the hammer and number two seed Rafael Nadal. And Nadal beats him 6-2, 6-4, 6-0. There were glimmers of hope for Tsitsipas, things he can definitely build on, especially in that second set that we'll get into. But overall, just what a f***ing beatdown from Rafa. Yeah, I mean, I think Rafa knew exactly what he was going to do coming into this match. Um, and before before we, we get too far into, you know, breaking down what happened, I think it was funny in a post in the post-match interview, Tsitsipas uh, Post talked about how he watched Federer-Nadal matches because he kind of compares himself to Federer, which is like a, a little subtle humble brag um, <laughs> on Tsitsipas' part. Dare but I say I Alex Gruskin-esque humble brag. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, it, I mean, I don't disagree with him. You know, their, their games are similar, and so I do understand, you know, trying to watch the GOAT try and, you know, take down Nadal in one of the many matches that they played is going to be helpful for Tsitsipas in, you know, preparing. But he just wasn't really able to capitalize on, I think, the things that, that excuse me, that Federer usually does to take down Nadal, which is, you know, take time away from Nadal. Uh, I, I think there were... Like you said, there were little glimmers of hope where we saw him, you know, taking forehands down the line and, uh, you know, shortening up the points. And But the second it got to the backhand, it, it was pretty much game over. So let's start with the thing Tsitsipas did well in this match. Make 69% of his first serves. That's a good number, right? That's a number you need to have it's when you're playing. It's a great number. <laughs> that was childish. Hey, hey, great shot to you. That was good. No, I like that. Why stop leaving it in? Um, but, you know, in terms of the first serve win percentage, 29 of 45, 64%. That's pretty good. You know, 10 of 19 at the net against Rafa. We'll get back to that. That's something to build on. Uh, in that second set particularly, you know, he only had one break point. It came in that second set. He started playing more aggressive. He knew, okay, I can't let Rafa just jerk me around the court like it's been going this first set and a half. Started trying to take backhands early. Started going backhand down the line more. 
tried to force his way forward, even threw in some servant volleys that I really liked. There were aspects from Tsitsipas I very much liked. But yeah, as you mentioned, Rafa Nadal was just so relentless in this one. I think he's gotten even better at going backhand down the line. So for instance, you know, Tsitsipas would hit a serve out wide to the Nadal backhand on the deuce side. Nadal, you know, may just chip it back center of the court. Tsitsipas takes that next ball back to the backhand side, and then Nadal just hits this high loopy down the line backhand, you know, with Tsitsipas having a one-hander. He's f***ed at that point because there's nothing he can do with that ball. And it's just... I mean, Rafa's discipline. Then, you know, if, if Tsitsipas tried to go down the line with that backhand, now Rafa's hitting an inside-in forehand or an inside-out forehand or just any forehand, and you're in trouble when he's doing that. The other thing on the Nadal note that I loved, 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 loved that I that he did in this match, and I think he will have to do it against Novak Djokovic, the second he saw Tsitsipas was stretched, the second he saw Tsitsipas go to the slice, he jumped in and moved forward in this match. And for Nadal, he goes, it's such an efficient 18 of 22, 82% at the net. When Rafa's playing like this, Oh, thank God he got Djokovic. At, at at one point, it's like, why are we doing this? But at the second point, it's like, okay, these guys are both playing really well. Yeah, I mean, first of all, they're both playing spectacular. They're not just playing really well. They're playing spectacular tennis. Uh, I think that's something we've seen from Nadal a lot. I mean, he's even said he's had to adapt to the, the younger guys and, and the new style of play. And he mentioned how he's you know made adjustments to a game, his game. And I think that's one of them is that he's, you know, being a little more aggressive than I think he used to be. And that includes moving into the net. Uh, but the thing I think we saw a lot from him was kind of along the lines of those down the line balls that he hits. He was being aggressive going down the line. I mean, he had one shot in this match. He hit an around the post forehand. That was just absolutely absurd. It's it's probably a, a highlight on the Australian Open website right now. But I mean, he, he had multiple times where he got stretched out wide and he goes for the down-the-line forehand, and he and he has it. That's one of his better shots, along with his down-the-line backhand. Again, one of his better shots. He, he's just being a little more aggressive with it now, and I think you're going to have to see that from him against Djokovic because, I mean, what are you going to do when, when Djokovic is on fire? Well, to build on that point, you talk about Rafa's down-the-line forehand. Tsitsipas was so afraid of getting stretched out wide on the backhand, having to hit backhands to Rafa's forehand, that he started cheating over, and that's when Rafa hits you with a forehand down the line. Or, similarly, you know, Tsitsipas is trying to play to the Nadal backhand. Nadal hits two loopy backhands down the line, and then he just absolutely drives through a backhand cross-court. He's got all the combinations working for him. He came into this match serving 70% on his first serves overall in the tournament, hit 66% in this one. He's won 80.4 of his first serve points coming into this match wins 85 against Tsitsipas that's just he would you know slice in at the deuce away from the Tsitsipas backhand slice out wide on the ad we've seen it all before when Rafa serves this well when he can dictate the way he has been you know he hit for the tournament he's hit 197 winners against 113 unforced errors if you were scripting the start of the 2019 season for Rafa it couldn't be better than this 100% this is the start I mean Dude, he hasn't dropped a set. <laughs> like, I, I don't know what else to want for this guy. 
I, I mean, the only thing you might want is for him to, to not have a Novak Djokovic who's coming into this match as hot as he is because this is the worst-case scenario. Djokovic, the only guy with a backhand that can handle the Nadal for him, the only guy comfortable going down the line with his backhand at any point, you know, moves as well as anyone, so he's not intimidated if Rafa gets him stretched at the beginning. I mean, Djokovic just annihilated Luka Pui in his semifinal match, 6-0, 6-2, 6-2. Who would you say is playing better right now? I know that's a tough question to ask. Who, sorry, let me rephrase that. Who do you think is closer to the peak of their powers? Uh, I mean, I don't know if you can really answer that. I mean, Djokovic is younger. Uh, <laughs> I, I, like, I guess Djokovic. I, I don't know. I, I don't want to move too far into the to the Djokovic and Dahl yet before we just briefly because I mean I don't think we should briefly talk about Djokovic Pui because it was just the most routine match ever. Pui literally could do nothing to hurt Djokovic. It was ridiculous, um, and so it. Look, on, the, the only thing I wanted to mention from this Djokovic pre match, because as you mentioned, it was so routine for Djokovic. He hits 24 winners against five unforced errors. Five. Five unforced errors. Max, you don't go through a warm up without five unforced errors. Yeah, I mean, dude, <laughs> Djokovic is just. He didn't have a whole lot of pressure. Actually, that's not true. I, I do think Pui tried to be aggressive and then just could not finish points like Pui, Pui as a player isn't the kind of guy who's gonna blow Djokovic off the court so he tried to be aggressive and then you know Djokovic does one of his sliding backhand return or backhand gets sliding forehand gets puts it deep in the court and then he's just back in the point and Pui's like all right well I didn't move into the net and I'm a big enough forehand to hit a winner here and and then you know Djokovic gets on the offense and then the point's over so, I mean, you saw that for literally the entire match. Yeah, and the only reason I wanted to talk about this match was to put Djokovic's performance in perspective of the, his entire tournament so far. You know, he comes into this one having made 67.5% of his first serves. He makes 72% in this one. Uh, he comes into this match having won 76.5% of his first serve points. He wins 84% in this one. 61.2% of his second serves coming in. He wins 87% in this one. Djokovic has won 42.3% of all of the return points he's played so far in this tournament. That is f***ing insane. Like, Best returner ever. I mean, you know I love Andy Murray, but when Novak Djokovic plays like this, I just... Uh, I, I don't know what... I don't know how Rafa can beat him. And Rafa has said it in the past before. You know, when Novak Djokovic plays his best tennis on the hard court, there's no one in the history of tennis who's ever been as good as he is. And I just think that's what we're seeing right now. So getting back to the original question we started this little match breakdown with, Djokovic is closer to the peak of his powers. I watched the highlights of the 2012 match. Rafa's forehand used to have a little bit more bite to it. And I think he's a smarter player now. But physically, he's just not what he was in 2012. Djokovic is as close as you can be to it, uh, given it's, you know, seven years later. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think, look, he's definitely the best hard quarter of all time. There's no doubt about it. Um, he's now past Federer for the most hardcore Grand Slam finals. And look, I mean, I think you're right. Nadal isn't at his peak fitness, but I think the, the thing that I was saying about him being more aggressive coming into the net a little bit, 
I actually like to see that from him. And I know that people might look at that as, as him getting older and trying to shorten points, but he's still so fast. He's still an amazing defensive player. And, and I think that him taking this step to try and be a more aggressive player, he's got that in his wheelhouse. I mean, he can rip the shit out of the ball. So seeing that from him, I actually think gives him an opportunity to maybe say, hey, I'm going to be ultra aggressive in this match against Djokovic because I know that he might be a little bit more physically fit than me. And I think we could see him, you know, potentially take this match by being aggressive and, and hitting Djokovic off the court. Okay, maybe not hitting him off the court, but you, you get my point. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And we will talk about that in our final preview. So we'll end with one last step before we get into those. You look at the win-loss record in slam semifinals in the open era from some of the men's uh, players. Bjorn Borg leads the way with a 16-1 and record in semifinals, 93% win percentage. That is nuts. Good. He retired too soon, but we'll save that for he another did. day. Rafa Nadal, though, 25-5, and 83% win percentage. Given how many times it's been the big four in semifinals or, you know, one of a Rinker or a Delpo, that's f***ing insane. I, I, yeah. I, I honestly was surprised that uh, Federer didn't have the, the second highest. Yeah, and it's a credit to Nadal. You look for Federer. He and Djokovic are tied for fifth with a 70% win percentage. Federer is 30 and 13. I I don't even know what to say. He's been to 30 Grand Slam finals. That's crazy. Djokovic, though, an equally insane 23 and 10. I mean, we're living in the golden era. These are the three best players, and I, I will make a case for why it's a big four, but these three separately are the three best players in tennis history. I mean... You just you just made the perfect point why it's the big three, but we're not going to get into that right now. Look, there's, <laughs> you're right. I I I'm aware of <laughs> the contradiction. Just, you, you just yourself there. <laughs> I think for all future debates, but uh, we'll we'll stop there. That's fine. Then let's transition to our final now. You know, just some stats to set the scene for you listeners. I'll get a lot of fun stats here. All of these you can find on Tennis Twitter. So be sure to go, you know, join us and give that a look. There are a lot, ton of fun accounts. You know, on a non-singles note, Rothman, Rajiv Ram, Chloe Beck and Emma Navarro in the girls' doubles, Emilio Nava and Cannon Kingsley in the boys' doubles, and I think Nava in the boys' singles as well. Yeah, Nava won in three sets last night. Great win for him. They all reached the Australian Open finals of their respective brackets, making it the 185th consecutive slam dating back to at least 1973, and that's when you can find draws up till, where at least one American played in a slam final. Now, in the past decade, at least one American has won either a singles, doubles, juniors, or wheelchair uh, title at a sl- in 36 of 39 of the past Grand Slams. The last Australian Open with no American winner was 1999. People who shit on American tennis, there's a stat for you. Uh, yeah, honestly, I, I when I first saw this, I was pretty surprised to see it. Uh, but also at the same time, when you include all those categories, I mean, we've got beasts in every category, so go USA. Yeah, I wonder how many of those are either a Williams or a Brian. I'm sure a majority. 
We'll save that stat for the next one. But let's get into our Australian Open women's final preview. We did a little bit of that talk in the semifinal, but just setting the scene again, we have number eight seed Petra Kvitova against number four seed Naomi Osaka. This is just the fifth time in the last 18 majors that there will not be an American woman in the singles final. Shout out to Serena Sloan and Keys, um, maybe even Venus as well. It's the second consecutive year the Australian Open women's singles final will determine who will be ranked number one. And you look at Naomi Osaka, who's 21 years old. She is the youngest player to reach back-to-back Grand Slam finals since Anna Ivanovic in 2008, who was 20 at the time. I believe she has a 13-match Grand Slam win streak going into this, the longest since Serena put one of her crazy Grand Slam win streaks together. Who are you leaning towards in this one, Rothman? I mean, look, uh, we, we brought the Bovada line out. We, we see Osaka's the underdog. And I understand why. Kvitova's had a crazy run. She, you know, looks flawless at this point. Um, and I do worry about Osaka going up against a lefty. Um, you know, that I think that's one of the main ways that Osaka is going to have problems in this match. But at the same time, going back-to-back is one of those things that I'm sure she is dead set on and having that fire in you, especially as, you know, one of the youngest players to reach back-to-back Grand Slam Finals. I want I want to bet on the underdog here. I want to go with Osaka. Really? See, one stat I pulled for this one, you look at return games won so far. Kvitova is number one in the tournament, having won 25-49 return games. Osaka, I think, was number 14 with 28-69, of 41% of her return games. The Osaka second serve is more of a liability to me, and I think if Kvitova is able to get a couple breaks, you know, that it will be really big for her confidence. Still, it, it's a war of attrition, right? Because the Kvitova forehand is awesome, but the Osaka backhand is also awesome. So it's going to lead to a lot of, you know, a lot of fun points. Who's willing to pull the trigger down the line more often? I also want to point out, Alex, that Osaka has been tested more. I sometimes worry about players. I mean, I, I think it's different for Nadal, who's, I mean, just played good players and, you know, whooped them. Osaka's just had a tougher draw than Kvitova. I mean, Kvitova has played one seed, and I mean that that is also a testament to you know uh, Anna Samova and Collins, you know, taking out seeds that she would have played. But I think there's a difference between you know being tested against Pushkova, being tested against Svitolina. Spit- oh, Jesus Christ, Svitolina. Yeah, being tested against Svitolina. I mean, she Osaka's played four seeds already, and I think you know. Getting tested like that really gets you to a point where your game is just solid. And so I think there's an aspect there where I think, you know, Kvitova could come out and, and be surprised by the level of play that Osaka is able to, to bring out. I just think the storyline for Petra Kvitova writes itself. This is a woman who is, you know, had a stalker or a burglar break in. She was stabbed. She comes all the way back from that. Back in, you know, she has a chance to uh, to be the world number one again. She has cruised through this draw. You're right. If you were going to script a draw for her, it would have, you know, she would have asked for this. She's probably the fresher of the two, which is the counterpoint to your argument of being tested. But still, I really do like that point. I think there's something to Osaka, not only having just played a major final, you know, the tournament before this, but having been through three sets, having had a lead and a break, you know, she's up a set and a break against Pliskova and then Pliskova fights back, but still she wins a comfortable third set. This is a major stay away in terms of actual gambling for me because both players could win. 
I'm going to be different than you. I'll take Kvitova. I just think, you know, Kvitova is playing just a little bit better, and that's going to be enough. And I like the Kvitova backhand more than I like the Osaka forehand. Well, maybe you and I will have to make an internal bet against each other. <laughs> Loser writes the next outline. Fair enough. Yeah, I know. I'll do it anyways. It'll so be you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, then let's talk about this other final. Of course, as we mentioned, this is number one seed Novak Djokovic versus number two seed Rafa Nadal. I have to start by saying this. Are we really doing this again? Like, come on. Yeah, okay. See, you're complaining about this, but you just said that these two, along with Federer, are three of the best players of all time. (laughs) They're old. You're going to miss seeing this. I mean, dude, they've combined for, what, 25 of the last 36 slams? And the and if you include Fed, they've won fifty two of sixty three. Like you're gonna you're gonna look back on this in like six years, and we're gonna be seeing some a, a new array of random Grand Slam winners, and you're gonna be like, damn, I missed that stupidly high quality tennis between those three guys in the finals. You're gonna miss it. Your everything you said is valid. I just will offer the counterpoint of. Why did we even You're play fatigued. this tournament? No, what, what, why did we even play this tournament? What's the point? We make all these yeah, bets, pick all these predictions, and we just look f- stupid in the end. Yeah, I mean, honestly, we should just we should just have the next three slams. We should just have uh, an adult. Don't even say it. French. Don't even say it. Don't even. If have... you say it, just much like your Tomas Burdish prediction, it might come to life. So please, don't even put that out there. I mean, I'm telling you, French is going to be Djokovic Nadal again. We're going to have an Adolf-fed Wimbledon, and then U.S. Open is going to be fed Joker, and it's, that's just what's going gonna to happen. Yeah, all right. Whatever you say, Max Rothen, but uh, you, you mentioned some stats. <laughs> Let's set the scene a little bit. This Australian Open is going to be the 37th consecutive one by someone from Europe on the men's single side, 58th out of 59. The 10th consecutive major one by a player 30 or older. For perspective, from 1968 French Open to the 2016 Wimbledon, there were 20 champions of Grand Slams over the age of 30. Since the 2016 U.S. Open, there have already been 10. And as you mentioned, if these Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, permutations of grand slam finals happen that stat doesn't look to be slowing up anytime soon um you you talk about grand slam uh uh, finals in history in terms of matchups federer nadal has the number one spot right now with nine uh matches but this is the eighth time Djokovic and nadal will go head to head why i include murray in the big four he is third on this list he has played Djokovic in seven grand slam finals a bunch of fun combos on there as well you should know fed and Djokovic. and he hasn't played nadal and federer in many finals (laughs) well that's because he plays them in the semifinals and to their credit nadal's Nadal's 25 and 5 i don't know what you want from me uh (laughs) Yeah, so it's crazy. You look at the most Grand Slam singles finals in history. Federer has 30, Nadal 25, Djokovic 23. That's the top three spots in history. Uh, Again, Djokovic, as you mentioned, passed Fed for most hardcore Grand Slam finals. You look at, here's a fun one for you. I really like this one. Grand Slam finals with the most slam titles between the two players playing. This this year's final ties the 2017 final where Federer had 17 slams, Nadal had 14. In this one, Nadal has 17, Djokovic has 14. I bet both of them end up higher than, and then Federer. I really am all in on this take. I mean, I hate, yeah, I hate to say it, but it's probably going to happen. And it sucks. <laughs> Well, then my GOAT debate about Fed not being the GOAT will look way better. Even if it's not Murray who ends up surpassing him, it's still, he's not the GOAT. 
I mean, I don't know. You got to take into account all of his ATP 1000 titles, his, ma- his master titles. I mean, I don't know. We shouldn't have a good debate right now because we, we totally could and we will. Um, but, uh, yeah, you're right. They're probably going to pass him. Fair, but then we'll we'll do one more stat to set the scene. Djokovic and Nadal and Djokovic and Murray are now the only two pairings in history to have played in the finals of all four Grand Slams. No, uh, Nadal and Djokovic are the only pairing to ever have done the head-to-head in four consecutive Grand Slam finals. They did that from Wimbledon 2011 to 2012 French Open, which, by the way, that's similar to the stretch you're calling now, so who's to say it doesn't happen again? I added this one for fun, but they're UTRs. Nadal's a 16.18. Djokovic is a 16.21, so you could tell who the favorite is in this one. Yeah, Max I saw well- that. I was like, that's such a ridiculous. <laughs> <So> ridiculous. <laughs> well, then, let's frame it this way. As opposed to just picking a winner straight up, you make the case for Rafa. What, is a ma- what does a match look like if Rafa Nadal wins this? I'll make the case for what the match will look like if Djokovic is winning. Well, I think I said it earlier. I, I think you just have to see a more aggressive Nadal. I think the way that he's been playing this tournament is showcased that. I think he's been aggressive on returns. I think more, I mean, relatively, he still stands, you know, pretty far behind the baseline. But if you, you saw this against Tsitsipas, you know, being a little more aggressive, especially on second serves, I, I think it's going to be about aggression. You're, you're right. He's not as in shape as Djokovic, and I, I don't think he's going to be able to you know, have a 2012 six and a half hour marathon match. And uh, I think he knows it. I, you look at their time spent on court, Djokovic, 11 hours, 59 minutes, and Nadal, 12 hours, 11 minutes. So they both come in, you know, similarly fresh for Nadal. He has that extra day of rest, which when you're playing Djokovic is so, so crucial. So I think that's a good thing on his side. I just think Novak Djokovic on a hard court you cannot pass him. You just can't. And, you know, Novak is uniquely equipped to handle the Rafa serve. When Rafa wants to hit a slice down the tee on the deuce, that's a Djokovic backhand. When he wants to hit a slice out wide on the ad, set himself up for a runaround inside-out forehand, well, that's a Djokovic backhand. And Djokovic wants to go backhand, uh, or doesn't want to, but is fine going backhand's to cross court to the Nadal forehand. Djokovic, if his backhand down the line is working, if he's forcing Nadal to cover that ball, hit a weaker backhand, Djokovic is moving forward with his forehand, playing aggressive. Both guys have made, you know, so much, uh, uh, have had so much success on their first serves in this tournament. Nadal has had less success on the second serve if he's not able to hold up to that 80% margin on his first serve win percentage. You could see him be broken. You could see, you know, Djokovic, the best returner of all time, getting a couple of early breaks, building a lead on Nadal, and you just, you don't want to play catch up from behind when you're playing Djokovic. I just think he's serving too well. He's returning too well. He's too physically fit. As well as Rafa is playing, he has not been tested like this, and I just don't know if Rafa at this point in his career is up for, as you mentioned, a marathon match, which is what it really takes to beat Novak Djokovic. I mean, it's funny that now you're saying, you know, for Nadal, he hasn't been tested, but the other way around in the women's final, it it doesn't apply the same way. Yeah, a little hypocrisy from you there. but um, (laughs) Hey, great shot to you. I like that. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. But I, it sucks because I'm gonna. I do. I do agree with you. I think. Look, Djokovic. He's um, on the lower end of their matchups in Grand Slam finals. He's had three wins and Nadal's had four. But I think it's about to be even. I think it's gonna go four to four 
after this match. Look, it's the Australian Open. It's his, you know, bread and butter. This is going to be his seventh. He's so good on these courts. He said it before. Um, I don't know. I, I think you just. I think you're going to see a, a Djokovic winner at the end of this match. I'm going to defend myself in terms of the tested question. I think for Nadal, it's not that he hasn't been tested. It's just <laughs> no one is Novak Djokovic. Naomi Osaka is a phenomenal player. But she, like in terms of a challenge, she's not Novak Djokovic. You ever, to beat Novak Djokovic on a hard Okay, so what? Is, the, is, so the, is, the comparison, is the comparison a Serena for women? No, no, you can't compare. Novak Djokovic is unique in that he, on a hard court— you better be ready to run. You better be physically fit. You better find a way to some easy points. And I'm not saying Rafa can't do these things. Obviously, he can. He's beaten Djokovic in a it's, hardcore Grand Slam final before. I'm just saying, given their given their forms, given that Rafa in Dubai pulled out with an injury, and I know he's looked so fresh now, but again, this is the Novak Djokovic part of the show. You're not playing Dimonauer, Tiafo, and Tsitsipas anymore. Now you're playing the big boy. And it's yeah. just... I don't. I just. I I've bet against Djokovic too many times and been wrong. I'm not betting against him this time. Yeah, look, I, I'm not either. And, and I was gonna cut you off, but I'm a more respectful person than you. And uh, yes, there there's two ways to beat Djokovic. It's either you marathon match him or you go, you know, you big blow him Delpo, off the court, Stan Wawrinka style. Yeah, or yeah, sure, Stan style too. Um, but yeah, that, that's that's about the only way. And we we know Nadal is not doing that, so. Look, I'm I'm staying up. The match starts at 12:30 Pacific Standard, 3:30 Eastern Standard Time, and I know that I will be staying up watching that match. It's going to be super fun. 12:30 is nothing. Definitely stay up for that one. The last stat I want to throw in to back my case: the fact that this match is being played on a hard court. Novak Djokovic against Rafa, 18 and seven all time on hard courts. He's won seven straight match, 14 straight sets as well. Rafa is going to battle. Rafa Nadal battles. That's what he does. He's if he wins a set in this match, I'm that's not surprising at all. But I just I agree with you. I don't know how he outlasts Djokovic. I'm gonna take Djokovic in this one. We'll say six four, six three, five seven, six three. Hmm. Okay, well, I'm gonna bring out uh the lines really quick to end this. The the favorite is Djokovic. He's minus one thirty. Nadal is plus one ten. Can the I just say under- real quick, if you bet on Djokovic yesterday, you're a genius because you got odds for him even yesterday. And I mean every penny counts, right? So yesterday was yeah. the day. Absolutely. I can't believe he was ever an underdog. Uh yeah, it's ridiculous. But uh I think the more interesting line is the over under, and that's forty one and a half games. So they're easily anticipating this you know, going four sets and a tight four sets at that. So I mean, 41 I, I, and a half games, sorry to cut you off. You're right. You are much, uh, much less rude than I am, but 41 and a half games. If they play four, six, four sets, they're not covering that. They're going under. Right. So, I mean, again, good math. Hey, hey great job by you. <laughs> um, but yeah, exactly. So, I mean, they're, they're anticipating a relatively tight four set match. Djokovic W. That, that's what the, the Vegas odds are, are having this match at. And I, and I don't think – I think they're probably wrong. I, I think – okay, not wrong. I think they're probably very close as, you know, Vegas tends to be. But I, I think you're going to see at least a 7-5, a 7-6 set, and there's a very good chance this goes 5. 
Nadal's strength in this tournament has been his serve plus one, and the guy who takes that away best is Novak Djokovic. He's uniquely equipped to handle Nadal. I've I've made my case. I think we can leave it there. Any final thoughts? Uh, you know, we're not going to be back about the Australian Open until after the finals. You want to throw in a quick ITA tennis uh, take? Something about kickoff weekend? I'm just excited. I mean, this is this is where you know, living in LA and having UCLA and USC is a beautiful thing. So uh, I'll definitely be at the matches this weekend. And if you're in, you know, any of the regions where the ITA kickoff events are happening, definitely go check it out. I'm ecstatic to be in Ann Arbor this weekend where we've got Baylor, Georgia, Michigan, and NC State. Brian Boland, Manny Diaz, both cracked interviews, guests that you guys can go listen to, both going to be in the house. I'm going to try and take the chance to talk to them. I'm even dragging Nicholas's Gruskin's to the tournament so that I not only have his company and his perspective, but I needed a cameraman as well. So be on the lookout for all of that content, which you can find at our website, crackedrackets.com, on our social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. It's always at Cracked Rackets. I want to give a huge shout out to our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westhoff, who have a job to do as always but they have just been so reliable over these past two weeks for editing these podcasts so really big thank you to them but one last time for our entire team at Crack Rackets our super producers uh, Max Fliegner and Daniel West uh, from the best co-host a man could ask for Maxwell LeBauer Rothman I am your host Alex Gruskin Maxie what do we say to our listeners Hey, great shot. (laughs) He brings it back for the outro. I love it. And we will see you all after this Australian Open's end. Enjoy these finals, everyone. Great shot by you, Maxie. Good job, I'll get him.